So, Will. Yes? In this week's episode, the entire premise is that if you are not in a couple, you are turned into an animal. I like the idea that this is a premise we've brought to a podcast episode and not the premise of the movie. I mean, fair enough. I would love to listen to a podcast in the world of the lobster. <laughs> yes, definitely. Although, just like it would have a very stilted <laughs> style of speech. It would, yeah. Oh my god, it would be so boring <laughs> at the same time. I am out to get truffles as they are delicious and hard to find. You gotta bring your pig. That's my favorite example of the, like, weird speech pattern in this movie. If you told me the movie Pig existed in the universe of the lobster, I feel like it would mostly make sense. And the pig is actually his brother. Yeah, that would be a- this is not what we're doing, but it would be a fun game. Like, what other movies could coherently take place in this universe? Yeah. First Cow, a movie I haven't seen, but the first cow is also a person. I mean, the biggest issue with that one is that it is very explicitly set in, like, the 18-teens. Yeah, before they have the technology. Yeah. Which is apparently so easy to use, you don't need any training. Well, we don't know that he used it successfully. To transform someone into an animal? Yeah, Yeah. I was kind of wondering about that. When he pulls Olivia Coleman in there... All we hear about what happens is that he did something horrible. It's not Olivia so Coleman. No, much... He pulls in the heartless woman. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I would very much believe that it's like a botched transformation. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. We're getting deep, but I do want to know, as you have a choice in this world, what animal would you choose to be transformed into? So my first, I watched this movie with my wife and she asked me the same question. And my first thought was a bear. Because bears are excellent. They are fairly self-sufficient, but can enjoy being in communities. Uh, They are big enough that you don't have to worry too much about other predators, really just humans. And they seem very cuddly. And so that was was my initial thought. What type of bear? Well, obviously a grizzly bear. Oh. It goes without saying. Okay. If I'm feeling frisky, a Kodiak bear. Which is really just a bigger grizzly bear. Yeah, isn't that the same species, just like a different subspecies? Yes. That's my initial answer. It's an answer I feel happy with. If I'm concerned about the treatment of bears, and I want to be a little more secure, then I think I go as an octopus. Mm. An octopus is very intelligent. It can use tools, so I could build a nice little life for myself. The downside of an octopus, especially in this world that's so focused on coupling up, is that octopi are very solitary unless you get them hooked on PCP. So I don't really want to be hooked on PCP, so it would mean spending a lot more time alone unless I have to become the unwitting teacher of some diver who's making a documentary. So I guess the question is, even in the animal world, you're supposed to then couple up, but wouldn't it be a good opportunity to escape the pressure of coupling up if you pick a solitary animal. Yeah, I don't think it you have be. to couple up if once you're an animal. I think they've kind of given up on it. But you are expected to. Mm. Like, it yeah. is very much framed as you have failed to couple up as a human, you get a second chance as an animal. Like, that is how Olivia Coleman describes it. Okay. So, Mark, you're looking to get out. I have some logistical questions before answering this, though, because some of the animals I thought of wouldn't thrive in the Irish countryside. But we see animals that are not native to Ireland walking around all the time. Right, flamingo, a camel. Does that mean you were not transported to the area where you would thrive best? That's a good question. Or is that because they're choosing to stay close to their family? 
I mean, part of the other question is, like, it's not entirely clear to me how much human awareness you maintain after you turn into the animal. Like, are you just fully the animal, or are you the animal with your thoughts and feelings and memories? Right. It also sounds like all animals are now former people, too. Because they're like, that's why some animals are endangered, because people aren't choosing to become them. Yeah, which I thought was a really interesting explanation. So, in an ideal world, where you are transported, you don't have your human awareness, so you wouldn't be sad, I would like to be an elephant. Because they just chill- They kind of just hang out. They run in packs. They're good parents. They mourn the dead and have funerals. It would be fun to have a trunk, too. It would be fun. The trunk seems fun. I don't really know what happened with that elephant in India that killed a woman and then went and found her body during the funeral and then continued to attack it. What? Um, Wait, that's amazing. I did not hear about that. Did you not hear about this? Absolutely not. Oh my god, there was it. Asian elephant that trampled a woman, which is sad, but it kind of does happen. But then during the woman's funeral, the elephant showed up and grabbed her body out of the casket with its trunk and like shook it around. What did that woman do to the elephant? I don't know. I'm now reading an article about this from Mashable Southeast Asia. It was a 70-year-old woman who was attacked while collecting water in the forest. The elephant proceeded to attack the funeral, trampling the corpse furiously before letting out a roar that signaled other elephants from its herd to wreck the rest of the village. Ah! Oh my god. The same elephant also managed to somehow identify the woman's home and went on to smash it, killing the goats that lived there. What happened? So That's freaky. Elephants never forget. This should be a movie. Elizabeth Banks is directing Cocaine Bear based on the bear that ate a bunch of cocaine. We need someone to direct Murder Elephant. Oh my god. So that does make me question the life of an elephant if you have that much of a bloodlust and revenge drive. But overall, they're cool and too big. But I wouldn't want to be an elephant in the woods of Ireland. That's a fair caveat. I think that I would want to be a monkey. What kind of monkey? Well, I know, I know. I was kind of like struggling to decide if I want to be like a chimp or more like an ape, like an orangutan. I can't fully decide. But I mean, like chimpanzees are very intelligent. So I think that is enticing to me. I also feel like they're pretty social creatures, which I think would be nice too. They're also just really cute. So I think that's what I What are your thoughts on eating the children of your enemies (laughs) and going to war? (laughs) Two things um, chimpanzees do. I don't know. I think I'd have to <laughs> reassess my feelings once I was in the situation. I feel like if I was going to go the great ape route, I'd go the bonobo route. Because mm. they're more peaceful and they accomplish that through just constant boning. Okay. That is how that species has accomplished peace. It is through <laughs> just like indiscriminate sex at all times. Oh my gosh. I think that... If you want to, like, exact some sort of revenge on this society, being a baboon would not be terrible. Well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. It depends that's actually on how not a bad point. About it. Right. They are freakishly violent. Yeah. Some people seem fine with the system, though, as it is, and are, like, just go to their transformation willingly, which is terrifying. It's another chance for love. Well, I guess they've just accepted their fate, you know, the same way that people accept death. They just are like, this is what it is. This is what happens. If they wanted something else, they should have been better at shooting people. 
I will say, unfortunately, one of my main takeaways of this movie is I want to go stay at that resort. Because <laughs> it looks really nice. Not as it is in the movie, but it's filmed at a real resort. And those, like, swimming pools and hot tubs look really nice. Yeah, it's a real resort in Ireland. You can visit it. And you're a Mary man, so you'd be safe. Yeah, I'd get to go on the yacht, I guess. We could assign you a child while you're there. Oh, God. That's the most terrifying part to me. I love that they say, like, once you've coupled up, if things start going poorly, that's when we introduce a child. And it usually helps. Yeah. That raises so many questions. Where do the children come from? If you are married and have a normal life, can you have children without them being taken away and used for this coupling exercise? Do you keep the child after you leave the resort? That's a great question, because the one guy who does pair up, they do have a child, and there's no way enough time has passed for them to have, like, an eight-year-old. No, we're told that child is, like, introduced to them to help their relationship. Right, which is just, yeah, like Mark's saying, where do those kids come from? Is it the kids of people whose parents have separated and been turned into animals, and so they are now orphaned? I think that's what it is. Yeah. Yes, that sounds very possible. Wow. But do you keep the child when you leave? Uh, Yes. I would think so. Because they have to do something with these children, and they can't be immediately coupling them up. The logic of this world is incredible, because it tracks, but it raises so many interesting questions that could have answers. I love it because it really does have the feel of, like, a sci-fi short story, where they're teasing it out just enough to carry the narrative forward and to suggest greater things without the need to explain everything to death. I do wonder, though, like... All the examples we're given are of people whose relationships have failed in one way or the or like ended in one way or the other. But I wonder, like, how long do you have after growing up to find someone? You know, we don't get really an explanation of that. Yeah, it does seem like the hotel is for second relationships. Right. Yes. But also in society, it seems like if you don't have papers saying that you are in a relationship, like the cops are coming for you. So that's what I kind of wonder how that all works out. With just, like, perpetually single people. Do you have the opportunity to, like, go to college and meet someone, and then by the time you leave college, you're expected to be in a relationship? Yeah, maybe. That seems right. Like, by early to mid-20s, you're expected to have figured it out. Yeah, and then if you're not, you get sent to the hotel. I do love how at the hotel they have all those skits of, like, man eating alone. And he is just eating there and chokes and no one's around to help him. So he chokes to death. And then they're like, man eating with a woman. And he starts choking and she does the Heimlich and suddenly they're fine. Like they have all these ways to show that to be like two of something or being in a couple is better than one. I love the incredibly wooden performances in those skits. And I also love that they are all things Liz Lemon described being scared of. Oh, really? I know. Like it is direct lifting from that. The choking alone. And the whole thing with the hotel, just the, like, the rituals of all of it. And all of it anchored around Olivia Coleman and her husband, you know, doing the skits. The two of them singing at that, like, dance. Oh my god. I loved it so much. Her performance in this movie should have won an Oscar. It's perfect, because it is just so matter-of-fact while saying the craziest stuff. It's so blunt. Of course you'll be turned into an animal, as we all know. I cackled through this entire thing. I thought it was hilarious. This movie is so funny. I really liked it. I was watching with my boyfriend, and he, like, couldn't handle their, the way, their way of speaking. He was like, this is driving me crazy after a while, but I just thought it was so funny. So, Maura, this is the issue, because... 
I feel like our origin story watching movies together is when we watched Swiss Army Man. Uh-huh. The movie by Daniels in which Paul Dano hangs out with Daniel Radcliffe's corpse. Yes. And you and I both loved that. Yes. And I feel like we've been chasing that high ever since. Yeah, maybe. Where I keep showing movies to you that you almost uniformly hate. But I don't know that you ever expect me to like those. Uh, no, I, I'm... <laughs> I'm generally not trying to, like, trick you into watching something you won't like. I just feel like I can't predict what you'll like. Well, I think that's fair. You know, I like to keep some mystery about me. It's the thing of, like, you know, I know Fiona won't like The Fly, but I think there's a chance you would like The Fly. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Or, like, uh, you know, the infamous one is The Lighthouse, which you and I saw in theaters together. I told you not to spill the beans. And I howled with laughter through the lighthouse. We came out, and I distinctly remember, like, standing on the street outside E Street Cinema while you, like, could not get your brain to form a sentence. <laughs> you, like, kept starting to say something and then stopping. Yeah, I don't know. I can't explain it. But this movie, while I was watching it, I was like, this is really weird, but I really like it. Which I feel like is similar to how I felt watching Swiss Army Man. And I have to say, I feel like it was shortly after we watched Swiss Army Man that I learned about this movie, and I've wanted to watch it ever since. Was this your first time? Watching this movie? Yeah. Yeah, I was thrilled because, like, you brought this to us. We were like, Maura, what do you want to talk about? And you were like, the lobster. And I was like, Maura, this is why we have problems. Because (laughs) (laughs) I would never have pulled this. Really? No. And so, like... I'm warning you now, I'm going to keep chasing this. That's fine. Maybe one day we'll find another good one. It might take another couple years, but... You know, you talked about your boyfriend reacting to the style of speech. I know I recommended Duel to you this year. Did you ever get to see that? (sighs) No, I didn't. I still want to, though. Because that's another movie with, like, weird rules and very stilted speech patterns, almost like humans have become sort of animatronic. In, in a very similar way to this movie. You know, the idea that these rules have sort of sucked the humanity out of the way people interact with each other. And so if you liked this, I think you might like the movie about Karen Gillan having to fight her own clone. I do want to watch that. To determine which one of them gets to live. I do want to watch Where's that. Where's that streaming yeah. now? So, I saw it at Sundance. It was bought by AMC+. Plus. <sighs> of course. But you can rent it from, like, all the usual places. Okay. Um, wow. Okay, so, almost 20 minutes in. I feel like we should probably get started on this episode, because we've dived right in. So, welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark, and I'm gay. And I'm Will, and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative show dedicated to examining the least important issue facing the world today. Does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Or even people? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot, or a one-scene flirtation, or if coupling up is the most important thing, but romance kind of goes by the wayside. Uh, We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, to explain the process of animal transformation, we're joined by our resident medical expert, my sister Mora, to talk about Yorgos Lanthimos' 2016 film, The Lobster. Hello. Didn't realize my medical knowledge was going to come into play here, but... I feel like it should have been obvious. (laughs) I guess so. I feel like this movie was less romantic than Turbo. It's all about relationships, but the romance is so dead that the love between those two snails has more passion in it, even I if disagree. it's for one scene. I disagree because, firstly, I think in Turbo, it's mostly not romance. It's the Maya Rudolph snail, like, 
aggressively pursuing the Paul Giamatti snail, but he's not into it until the very end of the movie. Whereas I think the Colin Farrell, Rachel Weisz thing actually is like kind of romantic. I think that's the problem is that it is kind of romantic and that's not allowed in their society. Right. That's why she has her eyes stabbed out. It's it, the thing is, it's while it seems romantic, it is still entirely centered on them both being short sighted. It's the same as the nosebleeds. It's the same as, you know, someone finding someone else with a nice smile. And as a result, they're a couple. But doesn't he get attracted to her before he knows she's short-sighted? Like, he's excited to discover she's short-sighted. And I think even the fact that he continues to interact with her some after she's blind shows that there's maybe, like, a deeper level. Right, because at that point, he keeps trying to find other things that they could have in common. He's like, (laughs) do you speak German? It's just so interesting, this dead world they live in. But also, the speeches about your defining characteristic at the beginning are so funny. My wife kept yelling at the screen. She was like, who cares about speaking German? You're both white. You both have dark hair. Yeah, I wonder how it's determined what your defining characteristic is. Because it kind of seems like once that's determined, like, that is it. You can't pick something else. I mean, it seems that the defining characteristic is just what you would describe someone on the street as. Yeah. If you pass them. Oh, like the guy with the limp. Which I thought it was interesting how people tried to be like, oh, hey, there's a woman with a limp over there. Like, check her out. And he's like, nope, it's just temporary. It'll be gone in a week. Like, that won't work. <laughs> it's very funny. It is interesting, you know, this notion that it's like the thing people would describe you with because Ben Wishaw, like, hasn't always had a limp. So it's a permanent change that now defines him, right? He only mm-hmm. has a limp because he tried to hug his mom who was turned into a wolf. Mm-hmm. I don't think it should be directed by Yorgos Lanthimos, but I want to see the diptych film taking place on the gay half of the resort. Yeah, because it has to be a separate half because they don't recognize bisexuality. Yeah, because of logistical concerns. Yeah, I love that they're like, they're, they're not saying like bisexuality doesn't exist. They're like, it's just too much of a pain to figure out. Which again, it, you know, it's how the whole society just like kind of casts actual humanity aside. There's no complexity. Yeah, it's, it's just logistical concerns. This movie is so good and so weird. <laughs> Mark, you had seen this before, right? Yes. I think you and I watched it in theaters together. I had never seen this movie before. You hadn't? No. Oh my god. No, I watched this in theaters, like, maybe the week it came out. Definitely very early. I don't know what it was that drew me to this movie, but I remember, like, seeing trailers and being really excited and going to watch it in theaters. I mean, the American release of it was delayed relative to Europe, so it's 2016 here, but it was 2015 in Europe. And so by the time it was coming out here, it had already won the jury prize at Cannes. It already had a BAFTA nomination for Best British Film. Like, it was sort of even more acclaimed at that point than the average movie coming out in the U.S. Um, I totally missed it. I mean, it was the spring of 2016, so I I don't know. I guess I was just, like, was busy like seeing Sing Street over and teaching. over again. Was it, you were also teaching in Ace at that point, right? Yeah, it was my first year teaching. So my movie going was very, like, stop and start. I don't think it had a long theatrical run either. No, and it was never on a ton of screens. I didn't realize how many, like, big names were in it, though. I felt like this was a movie that not many people were aware about, a real small whatever. And I was shocked to see how many people I recognized. Yeah, I knew it was Colin Farrell because I knew there had been a lot of, like, Oscar buzz around his performance in this. He got a Golden Globe nomination. But 
it was exciting every time I got to see John C. Riley and Ben Wishaw and Olivia Colvin. I think it's interesting because I would say there is name recognition to the movie. If you were to say, oh, I watched The Lobster, people would know it, even if very few people have actually seen it. I think that's true. I think The Favorite did actually help this movie get more recognition. It was also on Netflix for a long time. Yeah. It's on our beloved canopy now. That's where I watched it. It was a a two-canopy week for me because I watched Moonlight there, too. Me, too. (laughs) Thanks, Canopy. I only have eight more movies to watch this month. I feel like you'll be okay. I think I will be fine. Maura, are you on Canopy? I am. That is also how I watched this. Three for three. We're doing great. I had to renew my library card so I could do it, but I did. Well, you're welcome, then. I know. But yeah, Mark, I think you're probably right that The Favorite did a lot for this, too, because The Lobster, in addition to the Colin Farrell attention also gets a Best Original Screenplay nomination, which it loses to Manchester by the Sea. But then the favorite, like, explodes at the Oscars. It gets 10 nominations, including picture, director, screenplay, nominations for all three of the wins women. Wins Best Olivia Actress. Coleman. Olivia Coleman wins Best Actress. And, you know, there's The Killing of a Sacred Deer between the two is kind of a bust. But it's, it's such a bust that most people don't even know it existed, so it doesn't really count against Lanthimos. Right, it was like such a under-the-radar failure in that it was a failure because of how under-the-radar it is, but then people just go, oh, the guy who directed The Lobster directed The Favorite. Right. His next movie is scheduled to come out, I guess, next year. I couldn't find a release date for it, but it shot last year. It's called Poor Things. The logline was, upon drowning herself to escape her abusive husband, a woman has her brain replaced with the brain of her unborn child, with the help of her father. That sounds like a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. It sounds like some Yorgos Lanthimos nonsense. It stars Emma Stone as the woman and Willem Dafoe as the father. So like, I'm there. Yeah, I will be watching this movie. That sounds interesting. It kind of feels like he swung a little more normal with the favorite where like, yes, it has all the like lesbian psychological games, but it's, you know, it's a period dramedy it's a, Based a on type real of movie. History. Yeah, it's a type of movie people know how to watch. And he's like, "Oh, you like that? Okay, now we're going weird again." Yeah, that sounds wild. Because the, I mean, if we're going with this cycle, the funny thing is, the lobster is the normal movie, and Killing of a Sacred Deer is the weird one. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you there. One of my favorite jokes in this movie that made me laugh is not actually a joke, but is just a quirk of production where the amount of countries that their film boards just kept popping up at the start of the movie in the opening credits. It was like the film board of France, the film board of Ireland, the film board of Greece. I was like, okay, we get it. By my count, it's the Irish, the UK, the French, the Greek, and the Dutch. Yeah, and the Dutch are the ones that are really just thrown in. The others, in France a bit too. Except the French government finances so many movies. Yeah, and Lea Seydoux is in it. She's French. I mean, but that is, like, typical of European movies. And partially that's the strength of the fact that, like, a lot of European governments have these robust film boards. But it's also because, like, there just aren't any European studios with the financial power of even, like, a mid-sized studio in Hollywood. Yeah, I mean, it's all of them trying to combat the American entertainment monopoly. Yeah. But why are the Dutch involved? There's no reference. There's, like, no connection to the Netherlands there. The Dutch wanted to finance the movie. Good for them. Yeah, I just feel like usually there's some sort of nationalistic element to it, like a recognizable actor from that country. There are often rules 
about how to qualify. Yeah, like you have to hire a certain number of people. Like for Canada, you have to have a certain percentage of the actors and staff or crew be Canadian, right? I know that's true of Australia as well. Yeah, but I guess in Europe, they just throw money at other EU projects. Yeah, I don't know what the Dutch rules are. Uh, an interesting thing I thought, this movie was originally supposed to star Jason Clark instead of Colin Farrell. And I, I do think Jason Clark is very well suited to the like mechanical performance that the movie's asking for. But you almost wonder if it would be too cold then. Colin Farrell brings a certain necessary level of sad sack while being attractive. I love that, like, even his mustache seems to be frowning. It comes down just enough that he is, like, incapable of smiling in the movie. Right. He's, I think he's just so well cast in this. Because there has to be something, there has to be something captivating about the character as well. Anybody have a favorite Colin Farrell? To be perfectly honest, he looks familiar, but I can't think of what I've seen him in. So, no. Okay. I mean, my, my answer is absolutely Widows, where he yeah, plays Jack Mulligan. Yeah, I think that is. Great movie. He's really hot in it, and also just, like, really good. I like his Chicago accent. The scenes with him and Brian Tyree Henry are great. I'm trying to look through his... I'm blanking on movies he's in, also. Just checking his filmography. There are the two waves of his career, right? Because there's, like, the young hot mm-hmm. shot. Colin Farrell of, like, the Minority Report, Alexander, Miami Vice period. Oh, I've... of course, famously, he played Bullseye in the Ben Affleck Daredevil. He is not someone I would have cast as Alexander the Great. No. Uh, but he's just, like, young hottie. Yes. I think it would be even better if they cast an actual 18-year-old to show how absurd it is. But then, like, he has been fairly open about the fact that he was struggling with some pretty significant substance abuse during that period, both drugs and alcohol. And he went into rehab and is now sober. And by all accounts, that has been largely successful. And, you know, from the early years of his career, there are a number of horror stories about working with him being kind of unpleasant. And those really seem to have disappeared since he got sober. That's good. Yeah. So that, like, the new phase of his career, at least, like, in my head, kicks off with In Bruges, which wins him a Golden Globe. That's his first work with Martin McDonough, where he plays a hitman who accidentally killed a kid. That movie's great. And then he's just been, like, kind of playing around, like, bouncing between, like, the lead in weird stuff like this or a supporting player in more conventional stuff like Widows. He was, of course, the first Grindelwald. Oh, of course. Oh, I did see How could we that. forget? I think he's kind of good in that movie. I mean, if they had just kept him as Grindelwald, I think that it would have been better. They could even have, like, kept him after the first one came out and people reacted negatively to Johnny Depp being cast in it because they could be like, well, in this movie, we established that he can change his appearance so he could just decide he'd rather go as Colin Farrell. Not that those movies are good. (laughs) (laughs) No, they are actively bad. I have not seen the third one. I don't even think I saw the second one. I think The the second one was a fascinating disaster. Just in that, like... It was fascinating from a, like, morbid perspective of, like, how did this calamity come into theaters? Yeah. The Nagini stuff really turned me off as well. It's weird. So then now it feels like Farrell is, like, kind of on an upswing. And, you know, at the start of this year, he was in After Yang, which was really well received at Sundance. Then he played Oswald Cobblepot in The Batman, for which he got an MTV Movie Award nomination for Best Villain. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um... I want, I want to deviate on that. This year's MTV Movie Award nominations for Best Villain are weird. Because you've got Colin Farrell for the Batman. That's, like, certainly most villainous. He's in, like, a ton of prosthetics. But, like, Paul Dano is the villain of that movie. Right. That's what I thought. I didn't even know the Penguin was in it. Paul Dano is the villain, and John Turturro is, like, villain number two. 
Like, Colin Farrell is a striking character, but he is not a significant one. And remember, keep in mind, MTV Movie Awards follow a school year cycle. So the other nominees are James Jude Courtney as Michael Myers in Halloween Kills. Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin in Spider-Man No Way Home. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Fine. Fine. Victoria Pedretti in You, which is a TV show. I thought the MTV Movie Awards did do, like, for the non-major categories, a mix of TV and movies. I did not realize this. It's weird to me that it is four movie villains and someone from a Lifetime TV show that moved to Netflix. It's a Lifetime show? You started on Lifetime? Yeah. Are you sure? I am certain. Isn't that the I didn't even TV know show that. about the stalker? Yes. With Penn Badgley. Yes, huh. it aired its first season on Lifetime before moving to Netflix. Interesting. And the winner, and this is what's really weird to me, the winner is Daniel Radcliffe in The Lost City. I'm sorry, what was the category? Good choice. Best villain. <laughs> oh, Honestly. I mean, he was a fun villain good in Good choice. That. He's a fun villain, but like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a weak slate of nominees to begin with. Yeah, that is not a good... I Like, of those, I think... I mean, I haven't seen most of them, but I did enjoy Daniel Radcliffe's performance. He is very good at unhinged. Yeah, I just think, Agreed. like, if you're gonna go weird, then nominate, like, the moon from Moonfall. Now, that <laughs> would be funny. Right? Like, own it. If you're gonna do weird, dumb stuff, be as weird and dumb as possible. Anyway, uh, Colin Farrell's year has capped off because he just won Best Actor at the Venice Film Festival for The Banshees of Inishirin, the new Martin McDonough movie, which I'm very excited to see. He's probably going to get his first Oscar nomination for it. I'm all in on Colin Farrell. But this movie also, importantly, which we have not discussed much yet, has Rachel Weisz in it. It sure does. Who would achieve peak hotness? A crazy thing to say about Rachel Weisz, who is always hot. But would achieve peak hotness in The Favorite. The pants she wears in that shooting scene. I don't remember what they looked like. Are so good. She's in these, like, great, like, riding breeches and a vest. They're, like, black and white check. It's a great look. That's also just a really beautifully shot scene because everything's so muted colors and black and white until the dove blood hits her face. What a good movie. After Emma Stone shoots the bird. Ugh. I should rewatch The Favorite. A crazy thing about Rachel Weisz in this is that she was a fairly late addition because they tried really hard to get Elizabeth Olsen, but she couldn't get out of Age of Ultron-related commitments. I think she would have been good in that role. Yeah. I think Rachel Weisz probably better, because it's Rachel Weisz. But I think Elizabeth Olsen could have pulled it off. It's just interesting because Age of Ultron is her first Marvel movie, and so it's this moment of, like, instead of doing this, she does that. And, like, she still manages to do a lot of interesting things, but... The split between The Lobster and Age of Ultron is the split in her career. And she said that, and she was like, I think I made the right choice. And I was like, yeah, I think your bank account is telling you you made the right choice here. And of course, now because she made that choice, she can get weirder stuff made. Right. So it's a win-win for her, because she now can do the... I mean, she like proved herself so she could get the other things while cashing those Disney Marvel checks. Yeah. All right, well, you know, this movie... We, we can kind of hash out how much it's about romance and how much it's just about mandatory coupling. Uh, but it does feel like that's the big thing going on here. So should we talk about the romance? I think so. I do want to give a shout out to Rachel Weisz's narration because 
One of the funniest things in this movie is her narrating what happened immediately after it happens. Where he's like, he put on his pants and then she narrates and then David put on his pants. It's the most useless narration in a way that then makes it really funny. Yeah, it really was very much just parroting exactly what we had just seen. And it reinforces this sort of like robotic wooden nature of what's going on. Nothing is done based on raw emotion. This movie is great. (laughs) It's so funny. A laugh riot. So every week we break down the romantic plotline into five points to guide conversation. Maura, will you take us to point one? Of course. So a lot kind of happens in this movie before we actually get to what I would say the main romance is. So in point one, I've just kind of done like, it's a little bit all over the place, but just like a brief crash course on what happens leading up to when the two meet each other. So, the two being Colin Farrell and Rachel Weiss. Yes. Okay, so like everything with the Heartless Woman is in point one. Is in point one. Because I don't think that him and the Heartless Woman is the main romance. So in point one, David's wife leaves him. He ends up going to the hotel where you are given 45 days to find a partner. Yeah, when he checks in, he has to say how long his last relationship was. And he says about 12 years. And when pushed, he says 11 years and one month. <laughs> so good. Which is bold rounding up. Very bold. So you get 45 days to find a new partner. If you find someone in that time, great, you can leave the hotel. If not, then you get turned into an animal of your choosing. Now, the fact that you'll turn into an animal if you fail to fall in love with someone during your stay here is not something that should upset you or get you down. Just think as an animal, you'll have a second chance to find a companion. But even then, you must be careful. You need to choose a companion that is a similar type of animal to you. A wolf and a penguin could never live together, nor could a camel and a hippopotamus. That would be absurd. Think about it. I understand this discussion is a little unpleasant for you, but it is my duty to prepare you psychologically for all possible outcomes. Well, you have to stay for another month if you find someone, because you have to do two weeks in the couple zone, two weeks on the yacht, and then you're allowed to leave. And I think that is regardless of when you couple up. Yes. Yes, I think so too. Because the point is to make sure that you're a legitimate couple that can last. Right. I also like, of course, the other way to add time to your stay, besides coupling up, is to be good at hunting the, 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 the loners. The loners. Yeah. So there are these random people who go live in the woods and just kind of like decide they're not going to try and couple up. But the people at the hotel go and hunt them and you get like an extra day for each body that you bring back. Yeah, they're hunting them with tranquilizer darts. Yeah. So that they can be turned into animals. So um, when David has about a week left, he starts talking to this woman. I don't know if her actual defining characteristic is that she's heartless or if that's just what everybody has deduced from interacting with her i think it's the latter, i think it but i think it's also her defining characteristic because he has to prove himself heartless to stay with her so she That's has adopted point. this as her defining characteristic they realize that they are both kind of heartless because this one woman who had been flirting with david she threw herself out the window and tried to commit suicide unsuccessfully so she's like moaning on the ground and the two of them are just like oh my god like she's being so annoying and loud i hope that doesn't keep me from sleeping like all the all the moaning what happened she jumped from the window of room 180. there's blood and biscuits everywhere i hope she dies right away On second thoughts, I hope she suffers quite a bit before she dies. 
I just hope her pathetic screams can't be heard from my room. Because I was thinking about having a lie down and I need peace and quiet. I was playing golf and I'm quite tired. The last thing I need is some woman dying slowly and loudly. I can't hear you with all the screaming. We'll talk some other time when it's quieter. I don't think it's a realization. He's putting it on because he's decided he's got to couple up with somebody or he's going to get turned into an animal. And he's decided, yeah, like, he's... I guess it's this woman. Oh, you think so? Absolutely. Fully faking. Okay. You see him make a decision when he gets in the hot tub with her. And also the fact that, like, you know, there's the whole thing with he's got his dog there with him. And his dog is his brother who was turned into a dog. And ultimately, she, like, brutally kills the dog. She kicks it to death. We're and... not there yet, actually. Okay. But, like, <laughs> but again, it's the fact that, like, he's not actually heartless. He's just pretending because he doesn't want to be turned into an animal. And yeah, he has okay. seen faking it work because Ben Wishaw successfully faked having regular nosebleeds. Yeah, that's true. There is a woman whose defining characteristic is that she gets frequent nosebleeds. So this other guy will smash his nose into walls and on tables and stuff to make himself bleed so that he can end up with this woman. And just he will do anything to escape being turned into an animal. We should also note, while we're thinking about the timeline of all this, Ben Wishaw's wife died six days before he meets Colin Farrell. Yeah, it's quick. They don't give you yeah, any time no, to grieve. No, I mean, at the beginning, it sounds like the cop showed up as he was getting broken up with. Yeah, I think you're right. It's wild. We haven't talked at all about the opening of this movie and the backstory <laughs> there, where a woman <laughs> just gets out of a car, shoots a donkey six times, and then leaves. Or the donkey is, like, clearly her ex-husband or something. Yeah, but it really That's does what I knew set it was the tone be a good for time. the movie. Just what a tone setter. But so David and the heartless woman are in the hot tub at one point and she is choking and he just sits there and doesn't move at all and just like lets her continue to choke. And then you realize that she was faking it all along. And when she realizes that he does nothing to save her, she's like, I think we would be a good match. So the two of them pair up. They move into the couple's room, but as Will said, this heartless woman kills David's dog, who was his brother. And so then he lashes out. Death. There's blood everywhere. There's blood all over her foot when she comes to be like, by the way, I killed your dog. It's gruesome. It's but so then awful. I, I, like, I did not like watching it. You might be surprised to learn. Yeah. Well, he like goes into full-on attack mode, chases this woman through the hotel, tranquilizes her, and then goes into the room where they transform people into animals. They say that he will not even say what animal he turns her into but it's like the worst possible one you could imagine and part of that is because she's threatening to turn him in so that he will be immediately turned into an animal right Right, because he's trying to fake his way out yeah when he cries about her killing the dog that's when she realizes that he's not actually as unfeeling as she thought he was so then (laughs) david escapes to go he leaves the hotel and he goes to live in the woods as a loner where flirting and relationships of any kind are actually forbidden right it's an inversion like again there are these extreme rules and extreme punishments if people don't follow them but in the other direction this is a world completely without nuance they don't allow for bisexuality they don't even have half sizes in shoes it is just you are what you are and be that thing So then in point two, one day the people at the hotel, they're hunting the loners and David sees his old friend, Robert, with the lisp. John C. Riley, who once had his hand put in a toaster for jerking off at the hotel. Yeah, they are ruthless at this hotel. 
Because they don't want them jerking off so that they're horny, so that they couple up. There's a whole thing where, like, the maids, when they come into the hotel room, are supposed to, like, rub, like, basically, like, dry hump the guests until they're horny, but not until they finish, so that they go around horny and will couple up. Yeah, super weird. None of this is explained. <laughs> it's just the weirdness just of the hotel. So anyway, Robert and David are chatting, just kind of catching up a little bit, and then this other loner comes along and helps David like tranquilize Robert so that they can steal his clothes and that is Rachel Vice. And I don't know if her character has a name or if she's just the short-sighted woman. She is the short-sighted woman. Okay. But also they have to hide that she helped him. Because Leah Sedu is very much like you need to be able to survive on your own. If you can't survive on your own, then you'll just drag us down so you should go and lie in your pre-dug grave until you die. Yeah, the pre-dug graves. Really something else. This movie's so good. It's so funny. <laughs> the nearsighted woman tells David that he can repay her by catching rabbits for her to eat. So they end up kind of having this thing where he brings her rabbits and she eats them and they have this kind of thing going on. Yeah, 2016 was a big year for rabbits. They put on the stolen clothes from Robert and then they go to the city pretending to be a couple, which is a thing that some of the loners do from time to time. I don't know if just so they can like get some city life or something. I think it's where they buy supplies because he gets his pain relief ointment. Oh, that's right. They have to pretend to be couples in order to do this because there are cops around checking people's papers. And at one point, like Rachel Weiss is in a store and David gets stopped and asked to show proof that he is part of a couple. Before they'll let him go. So then in point three, David and the nearsighted woman, they're spending a lot more time together. And that's when they really realize that they're both nearsighted. And they start flirting and then they start secretly having sex. And because this is not allowed in the loner society, they have to come up with their own secret language so they can communicate. When we turn our heads to the left, it means I love you more than anything in the world. And when we turn our heads to the right, it means watch out, we're in danger. We had to be very careful in the beginning not to mix up I love you more than anything in the world with Watch out, we're in danger. When we raise our left arm, it means I want to dance in your arms. When we make a fist and put it behind our backs, it means let's fuck. Right, it's funny. And also, like, they can't do anything akin to normal sign language because that would be obvious communication and they're trying to keep it a secret. But it is instead this, like, needlessly complicated language. Yeah, so they have this secret forbidden romance going on. This is at its funniest to me when another time they're back in the city now that they have their romance, and they're like, oh, we're in the city. Like, we're supposed to be a couple so we can seize on this opportunity to just, like, make out constantly. Nonstop. And so I think that is... um that is kind of getting into point four here where they're in the city acting as a couple, but the head of the loners kind of figures it out. She figures out what's going on. And she also, subtle. they're not subtle at all. If there's one thing all. 2016 films taught us, it's that you shouldn't trust Leah do. She'll betray you in The Lobster. She'll betray you in Spectre. Stay away. So the head of the loners also finds the nearsighted woman's diary where she's been saying like, oh, like this man and I are like gonna, we're like, you know, in love and we're gonna, they had been plotting to run away together and to escape the loners. And so the head of the loners sees this and she's like, we cannot have that. So she takes David away and makes him dig his own grave kind of as like a warning sign, I think. But it's also not that suspicious because he was supposed to have done it already. 
Right. It's right. a very intense Something scene. everybody does. And he had been warned ahead of time, like, you got to pick a place for your grave. Yeah. So she makes him do that. And I then she takes the nearsighted woman to get LASIK eye surgery, which, you know, will then take away her defining characteristic of what she and David have in common. And when they're in the waiting room, she's like, oh, don't worry. This guy's the best. Like, it works so well. And then she leaves the surgery and she is blind now. It got botched. She can no longer see at all. Mm, quote unquote botched. And it was not botched. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leah Sedu arranged to have this woman blinded as punishment for her crime. Of oh, being for sure. In a romantic relationship. Yeah. So the nearsighted woman who is now blind is kind of initially trying to hide it from David, but it becomes pretty obvious that she's like just making. She's like, "Oh, did you cut your hair? Like, it looks nice." She's making stuff up. It is pretty up. funny. Yeah, and eventually it comes out, and she tells him, but she's worried. That he won't like her anymore, but um, even when she is blind, he still will spend time with her, and they end up playing a game where he'll, like, hand her objects, and she feels them and tries to name what it is. And half the time, she names the complete wrong object, and he still's like, oh, yeah, that's right, nice work. And so then, finally moving into point five, well, there is a period where it kind of seems like he is getting kind of sick of interacting with her. Like, it kind of seems like he's not feeling it anymore, he's kind of done with it, kind of with when he's lying to her about guessing the objects correctly and she's like oh like maybe we can play again tomorrow and he's just like yeah maybe i don't know like we'll see and he just kind of walks away and leaves her there there's like a frustrating and dispiriting thing to it too right where like they had been having this exciting secret relationship and now she can't really do anything she's totally dependent on him right but anyway so then in point five he decides like you know what i still want us to run away to the city together and so he goes and he tranquilizes the leader of the loners digs a grave for her and leaves her in this grave where we then see all these other animals like walking across her grave and like kicking dirt into her grave and everything and he leaves her in there gagged and then he and the nearsighted woman escape the forest and they go to a diner together and while they're there they're just sitting there they don't have any food or anything but he asks the waiter for a steak knife and then he goes to the bathroom and it's clear that he is going to blind himself so that the two of them can be blind together. It definitely seems like he is struggling with actually following through on this action. He seems a little bit hesitant about it. Uh, As you would be if you were going to stab out your eye with a knife. Oh, for sure. And while he's there standing in front of the bathroom mirror, like trying to get up the courage to do it, the movie ends. Yeah, well, it cuts back to her just sitting at the booth blind for a while. Yeah. Yeah, there is a long shot of her there. Yes. Right, and like occasionally someone else will walk by, which means you hear footsteps, like maybe he's going to come back. The whole thing is just like, like he might be gone. Yeah, like he may have just left or he'll come out. I mean, I love the indefinite end. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's the, it's the correct ending. What do you all think happens? I want to know your thoughts. I mean, I think we'll get into that later. Yeah. When we talk about if they'll stay together. Sure. But... Based off of what we see in the movie, do you find the romance between David and the short-sighted woman believable? I mean, the tricky thing is, again, trying to accept the rules of this universe. And, like, this universe cares so much more about outward expressions of what people appear to be, or occasionally what they do, than about, like, who they actually are by nature. I mean, we didn't even talk about Olivia Coleman's husband like, trying to kill her to save his own life. Yeah. Right. Which is the ideal relationship they're supposed to be aspiring to. He turned on her so quickly. So, 
it's the thing of like you're asking like how meaningful are most of the relationships you see because they are pretty much all commenced basically under threat of death. Like you will cease to be a person and you can like wander as a flamingo through the woods of Ireland. I think it is believable because yeah, I do think in it, this universe like focusing on one aspect of someone's identity is like what they're all supposed to do but i also think yeah that given like them being in this high intensity situation where that you find someone that you're like somewhat in common with you just kind of run with it i definitely think i mean there's not a lot of options i feel like especially in the loners world where like it's totally forbidden i definitely think it's believable that the two of them would end up together the interesting thing with Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz is that there does seem to be real attraction there, which we've seen before. Like, Ben Wishaw in the pool was clearly, like, flirting with the nosebleed woman when he's talking about breaststroke. And, like, he's faking having a nosebleed to get with her when he could be faking something to be with someone else. But, yeah, it, it does feel like there's a real attraction here. That's why these two want to be in a relationship. That's why they want to run away together. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's pretty believable. Like, humans, I believe it. humans get attracted to other humans. And then make up a reason to stay together, almost. Yeah. Even if that means kicking a kid to prove that you're heartless. That, that was funny. <laughs> it was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> oh, this movie's great. Um, so where would you rate this on a scale of 1 to 10? It's so hard, because the world is so weird. Yeah. The world is so weird, so I feel like it could be pretty high. Do we just want to call it an 8? Sure. What are you that docking for points me. for? I got it. Oh, well, know. oh. Oh, well, now Maura's asking what I'm docking points for. I don't know, Maura. It's weird, and I don't know how to handle it. What do you want from me? I don't know if that's a good enough excuse. Maura's going full 10. I might be. Maybe a 9. I'll go with an 8. Maura, as a medical professional, do you have any advice on how to safely transform someone into an animal? I unfortunately do not. But, okay, so I was actually kind of wondering this when I was watching the movie. Like, do you think... It's like a get out kind of thing where they like take one like your brain and like put it into the animal or like how do you think it really works? Well, they start by taking out your eyes and then they take out your other vital organs and then they transform you into the animal. Yeah, I just I really wonder because from that it makes me think like I don't know. Choosing are, I don't, are I, they I even transformed into animals or are they just killed? But that, that, the question is with that, like, yes, it could make sense they're just killed. Except where are these weird animals coming from in Ireland? Yeah. Is the government I mean, they might shipping have them in just to create the illusion that this is a thing that happens? Well, is this happening all over the world? I guess. I don't know. I assume that in the transformation room, there's just a cardboard box turned upside down. You put a person in it. You draw a dial with whatever animal you need to turn them into. You turn the dial and they're transmogrified. Yeah, I don't have any additional information on that process to add. (laughs) Um, Do you think David or the short-sighted woman is dateable? David's willingness to pretend to be heartless is a problem for me. I was just going to say the same thing. He's a little bit too malleable. Which is funny. I think the short-sighted woman is more dateable. I think I would date her. She's weird, though. It's hard. Like, no one in this movie. Like, she's better than most people in this movie. Yeah. yeah, but I don't want to hunt rabbits for her. Okay, well, that's fine. Like, you might not have to. I don't know. It seems like her interest in men is fairly proportional to the number of rabbits they bring her. <laughs> I mean, if you're living with the loners, you're going to have to hunt something. If you're going to eat. I think I would just be a member of society. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. 
and like not <laughs> questioning it or questioning it, but I think between the two of them, she is more dateable than he is. Yeah. Do you think there's like an active protest movement happening, or do you think it's so ingrained? I think it's I'm pretty sure that you is, either like... have to be fully alone or a member of society. I think the loners, in a way, are like the resistance movement, but they themselves are like led by radicals, right? Leia Sedu yeah, is I a radical like... who wants to. It's like she's leading a terrorist cell. She's conducting raids. She's kidnapping people to make an example of them. It's also interesting because it is this like counter movement, but one that is like partially necessary to the hotel's functioning. And it could function without, but the fact that they use that to get people extra days, you know, it's like they almost to some extent rely on the people choosing to be loners. There's a weird symbiosis to it. I mean, even the fact that, yeah, when Leah Sedu does her raid on the hotel and she's like olivia coleman and your husband one of you has to shoot the other and he tries to do it there's no bullets in the gun like yeah. it's a power move to like havoc. undermine this relationship like wow he was willing to kill you but because they just leave and they leave them there it doesn't actually lead to any significant change no but i love that they then leave and they just have to like leave this couple with this now turmoil of olivia coleman knowing that he would have killed her you know and then they have to kind of like reckon with that Right, but it's purely, like, again, you know, it, they've done nothing yeah. to actually undermine the society. Right. No one is fighting for freedom in this world. Yeah. Anyway, do you think David and the short-sighted woman will stay together? This is, Maura, this what is do you the think? question. I do not. I went through, like, a couple different versions in my head. Part of me thought that he was just going to come out of the bathroom and tell her that he had blinded himself but not actually do it. That was kind of what I was first thinking. But... I think, like, the longer she sat there, I kind of think that he just leaves her and just decides that, like, it being with her is not worth stabbing his eyes. And just we know that he can be, like, I know he led this woman away from, like, the world that she knows. And it seems very cruel to now just leave her blind in this, like city that she's not as familiar with but we've seen him be kind of heartless before so i kind of think he just leaves yeah i think a key factor is he's a coward yeah yeah at the end of the day he is a coward but i can also see him doing it like i also believe that he would do it because he's desperate and go back because he is desperate to stay alive like the cowardice is also that he's desperate to stay alive yeah that's part of what's great about the ending is that you feel it could go either way. More, yeah. I love your idea of him lying about it because I could see that going on for a while. Like he delays the choice. Yeah. I mean, because he's willing to do terrible things to not be turned into an animal. And I think that might go so far as to cut his eyes out, though, is the other thing. It's kind of interesting, though, because at one point when he's still in the hotel, he's talking to his two friends, the guy with the lisp and the guy with the limp. And the guy with the lisp is like, oh, like what animal do you all think you'll choose and everything? And they're talking about their choices. And the guy with the limp is like, this is so stupid. Like, like, basically that guy is saying like, I would do anything to not become an animal. Like your animal choices are dumb. I'm going to be a parrot if I don't make it. Why don't you become parrots too? And then we'll all be together. You're a complete idiot. Picking one of the few animals that can talk when you have a speech impediment. You'll lisp even as an animal. As for you, they'll catch you and put you in a pot of boiling water until you die. And then they'll crack open your claws with a tool like pliers and they'll suck out what little flesh you have with their mouths. You're pathetic, both of you. I'm not gonna be 
turned into some animal. I'll come and visit you, though, with my partner, when we're walking together in some park or when we're swimming in the sea or when we're on one of our trips. But I feel like in that conversation, David and the Lisp guy have sort of, like, at that point, almost come to peace with, like, their animals they've chosen. Like, they feel like they've chosen well and they're okay with it. But then this limp guy comes in and is just really kind of, like, trying to tell them, like, that's horrible. You should do anything you possibly can to avoid that. But it's also abstract, right? There's the fact that it's easy with 45 days left to be like, yeah, it would be a lobster. It's another thing with seven days left to be like, I'm about to be turned into a lobster. Yeah. And he's willing to pretend to be heartless then. Yeah. That's and even the point. choice of lobster, his explanation for it is about delaying. That's it's about, true. oh, yeah. lobsters can live, live for a over 100 time. years. Lobsters are fertile for their entire lifetime. It's about buying as much time as possible. Yeah, that's true. All right. If you did have to pick one person in this movie to date, oh, who would boy. you choose? This is a tough one. I think I have my answer. What is it? I think it's the woman with nosebleeds. That's what I was going to say. Really? She seems the most normal. And she's cute. She's cute. She's nice. She's gullible. (laughs) And she actually does seem to like Ben Wishoff. Who doesn't like Ben Wishoff, right? Yeah. He's kind of unlikable. Paddington himself. It's her or the woman with the butter biscuits. Oh, yeah. She's nice. I I was thinking the list. She's kind of dumb. Maury, you would go John C. Riley. Maybe. I feel like he is kind of like a friendly guy. This is like the most sad sack performance John C. Riley has ever given, and that is saying a lot. <laughs> he, That's I think comp- he's like, like even more than Abel in Chicago. I think he's pretty friendly. He's like a little bit optimistic. He is one of the people in this movie who doesn't actually like kill anybody, or he's like one of the less violent people. He doesn't feel optimistic to me. He feels deluded. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. My biggest hang-up with the woman with the butter biscuits is she's dumb enough to think she would die by jumping out of a first-story window, which, yeah. I, like, I did. it did take me a second to remember in the UK that ground floor exists. That's second story. So they are oh, okay. one story up. I'd forgotten, and I lived there, which is really funny, because I lived on the first floor and had to take stairs. But that's questionable intelligence. But otherwise, she's quite nice, at least. She's kind of annoying. I was going to say, she, she came is. across as, like, a little bit desperate. And also annoying. Uh, would you? Yeah, she's not desperate be because desperate. she is faced with effective death. Yeah, but yeah, I do think she was a little desperate. bit annoying. I would not choose her. I'd definitely choose Lisp Guy over Biscuit Lady. I also think I would rather die than become an animal. I don't remember what you chose. I think you just chose not murderous elephant. Well, unfortunately, I also do love the life of a dog, but there's too many of them, as they say. But exactly. what do dogs do? They eat, they sleep, and they get pet. That does sound nice. All right. You don't you have, to have to go to, to forage work for dog. food. It's all given to you. Yeah. Um, okay, now here's a question. Should this movie be made into a stage musical? I don't think so. I think music would like not fit the vibe. I know there are musicals that are not all like happy, whatever, but I don't think it should. Frankly, musicals are too emotional for this story. Mm, yeah. That's a good point. Like, the mechanism of song is when the emotions, whatever they are, get too big to be contained in words, and big emotions are not what this movie is about. Yeah. Right. It would be interesting to try and create a entirely emotionless musical. I do love the score of this movie. Yes. Yeah. It's really good score. These driving strings. Who did the score for this movie? I'm not even seeing it on Wikipedia. 
Um, it's not an original score. It's mostly uh, okay. by Beethoven, Stravinsky, some other pieces as well. But yeah, not an original score. It's great, though. It is, it is very good. It is well sound directed, then. Yeah. Music produced. I don't know the official job, like, who would do that. All right. So that is it for the lobster. Mora, I'm so glad you made us do this. I am too. And I just want to make a plug for everybody. Like, there's a lot of this movie that I had to cut out of the points because it wasn't relevant that we didn't get to that is very entertaining. So I definitely recommend watching it because there's so much we didn't even get to discuss. Again, we all watched it on Canopy, which is free with a library card. It's the best streaming service. I would also like to say, Mora, maybe someday we could do a movie you would normally watch on a regular basis. Um, We have, because we did The Big Sick. Oh, we yeah. did do The Big Sick, and then you were on the one episode that I was not on. The Princess Diaries, yes. There and have she was been on some... Gaslight and I think Step it was... Brothers. Gaslight Step I liked. Brothers. Step that Brothers. just screams Mora. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> But I think the thing is, we started with good movies and then really went in the opposite direction. And I think this is me trying to bring it back. (laughs) Bring it back. Yeah, we did. I think the fly was when we did the full swing. Yeah. Because (laughs) first we did the big movies. We did the big sick and then we did broadcast news and that was great. There were a lot of good movies. We did it first. Yeah. And then we went to the fly and then we tried to stay in that world. Mm -hmm. I was happy in that world. You know, I've never seen The Fly 2. Is Gina Davis in it? No. Maybe we don't. Honestly, what's the point? Maybe we bring Mora back for Earth Girls Are Easy, which is the Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum re-team. I don't know anything about it, so. I don't either, Mora. (laughs) This is a will pick. Yeah. We'll see. I I think that might be it. Speaking of good movies, though, next week we'll be covering another A24, our first back-to-back A24 moment. To be fair, The Lobster was only distributed by A24. Yes. But isn't next week's movie the first one they fully funded themselves? Yes. We will be discussing 2016's Moonlight. This was a listener suggestion from our listener, Manny, who sent us an email at lovedlovepod at gmail.com. If you want us to cover a movie, you should be like Manny and send us an email. Or tweet at us. Yeah. Or you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at lovedlovepod. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe as well. All right. Mora, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from Yorgos Lanthimos's The Lobster? I think I would have to say that finding someone who is similar to you can be a good thing, but you shouldn't let one similarity be the sole reason that you're together. I don't know. I feel like this movie was telling me the opposite. I was going to say, find your identifiable characteristic and just <laughs> lean in. <laughs> If we're going with what the movie teaches me. I was going to say, inspired by Olivia Coleman's relationship, admitting that you would shoot your partner may change the dynamic of your relationship. So that is an important point. Is your advice just covered up? <laughs> <laughs> My advice is just consider the possible outcomes. Just think about it. While you think about it, we will see you again next week. And until then, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 I think I have to rest for a little bit. My legs hurt. That's okay. But let me know when you feel better and we can dance again. Something hasn't played in my night Painting my sleep with the color
Changes the grave, changes the blue sky.